Shana Tova, everyone. This is Kalev Bendor. Today's chapter is from Malachim Bet, Kings 2, chapter 13. And yesterday's chapter focused on events in the kingdom of Judah during the reign of Yoash. Our chapter, chapter 13, describes events that take place in parallel inside the northern kingdom of Israel. The son of Yehu, Yehoaz, reigns in the north. And the main enemy is Chazael of Aram. And in verse 7, we read of the sorry state of the Israelite army. The text tells us that Yehoaz was left with a force of only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram had decimated them and trampled them like the dust under his feet. Chazael has also been a threat to the kingdom of Judah. And as we learned yesterday, the way Yoash, king of Judah, saves his country from invasion by Chazael is by giving him the treasures within the temple. But the northern kingdom is saved by a strategy that hasn't actually been tried in many years. Prayer. Ve'achal yo'achaz et p'nei Adonai, v'ishmailav Adonai ki ra'a et lachatz Yisrael, ki lachatz otam haram. But Yehoaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the suffering that the king of Aram inflicted upon Israel. So the Lord granted Israel a deliverer, and they gained their freedom from Aram, and Israel dwelt in its homes as before. Earlier in Melachim Bet, Rabbi Joe spoke about the similarities between our book and the book of Yoshua. But here we have something that reminds us of Shoftim. The people do not follow God's ways. He sends a foreign nation to oppress them. They cry out. And then they're saved, generally by some sort of leader or judge. In Shoftim, of course, it's before the onset of kings. But interestingly here, and specifically unlike in the book of Shoftim, Judges, we don't get the identity of the Moshia, of the deliverer or the saviour. And it doesn't seem that the people's behaviour has been changed for the better. Even after being saved from destruction, both Yehoaz and his son Yehoash, not to be confused with the Yehoash who's king of Judah, and his son after that, Yerovam II, continue to sin. What we know though, and this is now from the end of the chapter, is that Yehoash, son of Yehoaz, recovers several towns which had been taken from his father in war. And as per Elisha's prediction, three different times he defeats Aram. So who is this Moshiach, this deliverer? Here I'm indebted to Rav Beni Lau who teaches that it's likely the king of Assyria, Adad-Nirari, who reigns from 810 to 783 BCE, and who's the grandson of the great Shalmaneser III. The Assyrian eponym canon relates that among his actions was the siege of Damascus in the time of Ben-Hadad III. Ben-Hadad III is Chazael's son in 1796, which led to the eclipse of the Aramean kingdom of Damascus. And so as Aram becomes weaker and needs to focus on defending itself against Assyria, the Israelite king 
is able to retake several towns that were previously lost. And this touches on something that will also become apparent during the reign of King Josiah and also towards the end of the book, namely how the kingdoms of Judah and Israel have to wisely manoeuvre themselves between different powers and empires. And when they fail to do this, for example, when they repeatedly back the wrong horse out of Babylon, Egypt and Assyria, the first temple gets destroyed. And for me, it's fascinating to view the rise and the fall of the kingdoms through a geopolitical lens. But of course, in the Tanakh, there's an additional layer, some would say the main layer, that of God's hand in all of this. This chapter also sees us say goodbye to Elisha, but not before he gives advice to the king of Israel about doing battle with Aram. And it's been pointed out that Eliyahu and Elisha are different to regular Nevi'im, in the sense that they have supernatural powers. And there have already been some fantastic audios about Elisha given by Rabbi Joe and by Rafi, about how Elisha is spiritually powerful. To me, his powers seem Jedi-like. You can almost imagine him in a brown robe saying, these are not the drones you're looking for. And these supernatural abilities are even apparent after his death. We read in the chapter, when people throw a corpse into the grave in which Elisha's bones are buried, the corpse comes back to life. And as has been said, he's also politically powerful. He's sought out by kings and army generals, both Jewish and foreign. And he's also a caregiver, although perhaps, as was stated by Rafi, he acts too locally. Rabbi Joe shared something very beautiful about Eliyahu seeking to reverse Sefer Yoshua at the end of his life. He suggested that by moving from Bet El to Yericho and then over the River Jordan, Eliyahu is suggesting that Israel no longer deserved to inhabit the land. And at that time, at the beginning of Melachim Bet, Elisha rejects this approach. He makes his way back over the River Jordan into the land of Israel. He still had hope. But I wonder what he thinks or knows now. We're now 11 chapters later. Elisha has lived through three kings from Achav and his descendants, and he's also lived through three kings from a different line, from Yehu and his descendants. And despite not berating the people like Eliyahu did, despite not being zealous, Despite doing miracles for people, nothing has improved. And I wonder what Elisha thinks as he lies on his deathbed, and whether now he also realizes that the sand in the hourglass of the kingdom of Israel is beginning to run out. Wishing everyone a Shana Tova, a Gemar Ochatima Tova.